So I got diagnosed with really aggressive breast cancer at the age of 32 when I was single, broke, living alone, <laughs> partying. And then this sort of giant curveball came my way. Hey, Pocket Pals, welcome back to Pocket Money, finest podcast for people who want to try and stay positive even when life is kicking your ass. Well, I don't know about you, but that's how I'm feeling. And I'm broadcasting to you from my wardrobe again. Sally isn't on the line with me. This is an interview I've done solo this time around, and I've done it with Emma Markovic, who's a journalist, broadcaster, and an award-winning comedian. Emma's also the author of a book called Curveballs, which is all about what happens when your world implodes. Or as she puts it, when life tears you a new one. It's part memoir, part self-help, all wrapped up in some pretty funny writing. As you guys know, this is a podcast about money and life, and we definitely get into the dollars and cents. But in light of the world experiencing a collective curveball right now, we're really keen to hear what Emma's wisdom was on how to be resilient when things go very, very wrong in life and with her finances. Just a quick heads up, and I'm sure you'll forgive us, the recording we did do with Emma isn't the best quality. It's not studio quality. It's totally listenable, uh, but just wanted to let you know we're working remote circumstances at the moment and doing our best. So without further ado, let's hear from Emma herself. Emma, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Curveballs, hey? The whole world is experiencing one right now. What's going on for you? Yeah, it absolutely is. This is pretty incredible, actually. This is, and I hate to use this word, very overused right now, but unprecedented, is it not? It's, it's amazing that everyone on the planet is experiencing a curveball simultaneously right now. Yeah, it's unprecedented how much we're using the word unprecedented, but yeah, absolutely. So you wrote your book, Curveballs, well before we we're all in lockdown and, and going through what we're all going through at the moment. But look, I think, you know, it, like, it's perfectly placed um, to talk about, you know, what's going on globally. But also tell us about what happened to you. What was your own personal curveball a few years ago that inspired you to write this book? So my curveball was essentially being diagnosed with a potentially terminal cancer at a really young age. So I got diagnosed with a really aggressive breast cancer at the age of 32 um, when I was single, broke, living alone, <laughs> partying. And then this sort of giant curveball came my way and really did um, change my day-to-day -day life. Uh, I don't like to use phrases, which a lot of people use when they talk about cancer, things like my world turned upside down. Because for me, my world didn't turn upside down. It skewed sideways, certainly, and a lot of things changed. Um, but I found that I got through it pretty unscathed, except for a few scars, of course. And that sort of led to uh, the research behind this book, which yeah. is essentially about why people, some people handle curveballs better than others. I think you described, um, you seem to handle having, you know, a really aggressive cancer better than some people handle a paper cut. What would you yeah. say to that? Yeah. I, I mean, that's, it, it sounds like hubris perhaps, but that's exactly what happened. So I was by far the youngest person in my ward. Uh, most of the women in my ward were in their sixties and older, and they really were struggling emotionally with the disease. And I sort of didn't seem to have the same issues that they did. And so that led me to think, is that because I was born more resilient than other people? Is it something I learned in childhood? Is it, does it have something to do with my age? It could be a number of factors. So that sort of led to about 12 months of research into trauma and resilience and really answering the question, can we learn 
resilience? And like, spoiler alert, the answer is yes. We can <laughs> lend resilience, which is great for us all right now. So yeah, that's sort of essentially where this came from. So I have some experience with curveballs, which is good. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that's right. And once you've, you've learned those tactics or you have them built in, which you've said is your kind of personal superpower. But I also thought it was really interesting. You went out and talked to a whole bunch of experts around the world about what makes people resilient or how they can learn that. Tell me about some of the people you spoke to. Yeah, I found some really fascinating people. And uh, one of my favorites is, his name is Paul Stevenson. He's a traumatologist. Uh, He's actually based in Melbourne, Australia. I thought what he had to say uh, about the way we deal with trauma and how we deal with trauma differently uh, was really fascinating. So his example, one of his examples was, um, say three people are in a car accident. They're in the exact same car accident. One person walks away you know, sort of, oh, that was a weird thing that happened. And I go about my day. And the next, the next person is sort of a bit shaken up for a couple of weeks. And the third person just cannot seem to get over it. They don't want to get back in a car. They don't want to get back on the road. And they were all in the exact same car accident in the exact same car, but their way they deal with it is really different. So that helps to explain just outright why different people have different reactions. But what we're trying to get into is, I suppose, where those reactions come from. And a lot of it does, unfortunately, have to do with our childhood. So there's not a lot we can do about that in adult life. Uh, and that starts to sound really dry, childhood trauma and experts. So what I try to do as a, as a journalist and a comedian is try to make it really palatable and funny, hopefully. Yeah, look, I thought it was really relatable. And also, I think a lot of times when we do talk about illness or trauma, you know, it is in this really serious way. And there are a lot of funny things that can happen a lot along the way. And I'm thinking even now with lockdown and the pandemic, obviously not to make light of it for people who are sick, but for a lot of us day to day, there's, um, you know, some pretty funny things happening. I mean, the fact I'm, I'm now interviewing you in a wardrobe. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. um, Do you say things like that, like focusing on some of the the more ridiculous things or the things you can laugh at is helpful? Absolutely. So I talk about in the book, trying to find silver linings in everything, uh, which some people again are better at than others. Uh, And the internet has definitely tried to find a silver lining in the coronavirus. The memes are off the charts. I have never seen so many fresh memes on a daily basis since the internet was invented. It's pretty incredible. But yes, there are absolutely ways to... um, make the most of something, whatever that thing is, because when it comes to trauma, there are things you control and things you can't control. And so what you have to do is just deal with the things you can control. And that is predominantly your reaction to that trauma, which comes out for a lot of people in humor, even if it is black humor. Is that, was that a common theme with the experts that you spoke to for the book? Um, you've mentioned the traumatologists in Melbourne. What, what did other people who you spoke to have to say about this issue? Yeah, so we, I spoke to people, uh, obviously people who work with things like trauma, PTSD, a lot of psychologists. Uh, I spoke to people from Harvard Medical School. Uh, I speak to um, someone who's an astrophysicist, um, all kinds of people from all around the world. And certainly they all have something in common and that is that they are all very optimistic people. There was no one I spoke to um, that sort of uh, couldn't make the most of a situation. And I think that's what obviously has put them above and beyond in their field. And what puts people above and beyond in life is that ability to really make the most of whatever situation you're in, because you can throw a pity party. Obviously, when I got diagnosed with cancer and found out I was going to lose my hair and my boobs and my life savings, you know, I, I threw a pity party, but you have to absolutely put a time limit on that. And that's what a lot of people fail to do. I sort of said, all right, this is going to probably take me about a month to process all in. Uh, it's a pretty big thing to have to deal with. But after that month, all I have 
to do after that is get on with it. Because if I just felt sorry for myself that entire year, it was going to be a really shitty year. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And I mean, that's, you know, it's about controlling how you feel about situations because you can't control the situation. Did the people you spoke to have advice for people that don't have that kind of natural inbuilt optimism? We hear a lot about how plastic the brain is and how you can retrain your brain. Did you speak to them about things like that, how you can actually develop those skills if you don't have them naturally? Yeah. So we do talk uh, a lot in the book about things like neuroplasticity, uh, which is just retraining the pathways in the brain, which is Again, something that sounds really complicated, but it's actually very easy. And so what I do is take these big ideas and try to really shrink them down into really small things. They're all very, very easy, very simple things because, I mean, no one is lazier than a chemo patient. So if I could do that during chemo, I'm sure you'll be able to do them during lockdown. What are some examples of some of those things people can do? So one of um, the quickest ways um, to really work that uh, neuroplasticity to your advantage is uh, through linguistic programming, which is just using words. Your brain loves words. So what I did, for example, during cancer was I wrote down, it's called limiting beliefs. We all have limiting beliefs. And one of the big ones that we all have is you have to be healthy to be happy. It's pretty normal, right? Because when something bad happens, people say, well, at least you have your health. So what happens when suddenly you don't have your health anymore? You think, well, I've got nothing now. And so that's something that's really hard to get over when you have a medical emergency like cancer. So I had to get over that limiting belief that I had to be healthy to be happy because I wasn't healthy, uh, but I wanted to be happy. So I just wrote down that exact sentence every day. You have to be healthy to be happy. And then I would just cross it out. That's it. So that takes, what, three seconds? Uh, and it sounds uh, maybe a little woo-woo, but Compared to, I'm not one for the really big um, self-helpy journaling um, meditation retreats. That's not my style. So I need something that's very quick and very easy. And this isn't journaling. This is something that we have proven can actually change the pathways in the brain. So it's sort of like when you uh, walk to work and there's a corner you have to, to turn to get to work. And instead of walking all the way up the footpath and then turning right, you sort of cut across. There's a little pathway that everyone everyone cuts across when they go to work that day. You can see it in the grass. There's this little sort of pathway and a little shortcut. And that's exactly what the brain does. It creates the same thing. So if you take that path every day, eventually it'll wear its way. This little groove will wear in and suddenly your brain realizes you don't need that. And so this is all part of building resilience. And the big takeaway of the book is the most amazing byproduct of resilience is happiness. So we spend all this time chasing happiness when what we should actually be chasing is resilience. Yeah, that's a really good point. And particularly at the moment, I think when people often think that they need things or they need, you know, I don't know, they need to travel, they need to buy stuff to be happy. And, and you know, I think right now when we're all really limited in what we can do, um, you know, you really got to lean into what actually, you know, how you can make yourself happy. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a really strange time for resilience because a lot of people are trying to cut back, especially financially. So whether they've lost their job or not. So it's trying to find things that make us happy that don't require other things that we don't already have. Because for a lot of people, um, the quick fixes like a new outfit or a weekend away or things that require money. Um, and we're trying to cut back on that. So what can we do without these wads of money to work in our resilience and our happiness? We're going to play a little quick game. This is something we do in the middle of the show. Uh, it's called Overrated, Underrated. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw um, a word or a concept at you or a thing. Uh, not a thing, literally. 
Um, and you can tell me whether you think it's overrated or underrated and feel free to riff on that topic. <laughs> so okay. the first one, Tinder or online dating? Oh, underrated. Absolutely underrated. So I went out in the middle of chemo, literally three months into my six months stint of chemo, bald, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, nothing. Uh, and I was getting really sick of sitting at home alone. And I got on Tinder and thought, I'll just find someone, you know, for just for one night. I just would like a night off cancer. He doesn't need to know. I'll wear my wig, pick a really dark bar. I'll never have to see him again. And we're now engaged. So it worked really well for me. I have absolutely no problem with Tinder. I think uh, I would not have been dating during chemo without the apps. So absolutely underrated. I love your optimism too. I always think like, you know, a woman having chemo, like you said, no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, bloated, probably feeling like crap. Um, that is, <laughs> yeah. That's the, the definition of optimism and, and look where it got you. That's, that's amazing. Like I said, it was a very, very dark bar. <laughs> so there's a tip as well. Pick a dark bar. Yeah. All right. I'm going to throw another one. I have personalized them for you. I mean, you might notice oh. these. Mm. Mm. Wigs. Overrated or underrated? Oh. Ooh. Um, that's actually a tough one. I'm going to say overrated. Mm. I never thought I would say that as someone who had, oh, how many? I had five, I think, during chemo. One, uh, one which is real, real hair wig, which was customized in my head, which is very expensive, which my friends are very kindly crowdfunded for me, which you can read about in the book, and a few eBay specials, um, one for every occasion. And I think what I discovered was they weren't as necessary as I thought they were going to be. They were really nice uh, cushion to have, and I certainly would have gone out dating without a wig, uh, but... I realized that I was relying on them too heavily. And we rely on our hair too heavily, in fact, and our affectations, certainly. So if there's one thing cancer can teach you very swiftly, it's that perfectly curled hair really doesn't matter. Mm, no, great point. Yeah, it you know quite literally strips you back to the, the bare essence of yourself. Mm. Um, did you have a name for one of your wigs, do I recall? <laughs> I did. Gloria. 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 Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I could go and get glorified. great name great name yeah were you wearing Gloria when you went on on your date I was I was wearing Gloria and I wore Gloria for the first four months of our relationship he didn't see me without it for four months so you know what she did she did be proud no question um no question but I wouldn't say that wigs are underrated but yes I probably I probably would not have met my fiance without Gloria all right, another one which is pertinent, I think. So you, you, listeners might have picked up. Emma's got an Australian accent, but she's actually um, mm. speaking to us from Chicago. Um, Chicago. It's a very cold and, oh, I like it, cold and snowy place. Snow, overrated or underrated? Oh, so underrated. I don't understand why people complain about the snow. I think it's incredible, which is part of the reason I'm here. I just love the snow so much. Um, and I think the reason I love the snow is it's 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 almost like you can't appreciate the light without the darkness. And I don't think you, as an Australian, it's sort of hard to appreciate the incredible summers we have without the deep darkness of a North American winter. It's 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 just its own special thing. Again, a very optimistic take. I think um, someone I know that lives in Sweden, I was like, "What do you think about snow?" And he just said, "How do you feel about cold, wet shoes?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you for your overrated and underrated. Um, big shout out to online dating wigs and snow. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put them on my list. So to go back to your own cancer-shaped curveball, Emma, which, you know, obviously, as you said it before, like you were young, you were freelancing, you were yep. single. Um, I think you were renting on your own, yes, living on your own. renting. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, and, you know, this show is about money. Like that's just like a nuclear bomb landing in your life. Cancer is a long haul. It's all encompassing for people that aren't familiar with it. It takes months of treatment where you can't work. You're really debilitated. What did you learn from the financial hit? Like what, what were some of the really profound things you realized, you know, being young, being really unwell, not being able to work. What, what did you learn from that? Yeah. You, you do have to learn a lot about uh, your finances when you have <laughs> cancer. Um, and it's a position that people will find themselves right now as well with the coronavirus, with the layoffs. Uh, it's sort of the financial pressure that comes with a curveball. And being that all I had to my name was my rather meager life savings, I was quite stressed about that. And no one wants to clean out their life savings in their, in their early 30s. That wasn't something I was really thinking about. And that life savings was meant to be for, you know, once in a lifetime holiday, that's or my retirement. That's what that was meant to be for. And I was incredibly stressed about where I was going to find the money for that. And then I sort of realized what are life savings for, if not for saving your life. So when I sort of thought about it in that way, I realized this was the perfect thing to use my life savings for. Uh, and so I didn't feel so guilty about, about using them in that sense. And I was lucky that I had a little bit um, put away. And I think the one thing that I learned was I had been saving for cancer before I even knew I had cancer um, because when I had first started working full time, and this is the only really probably smart thing I've ever done financially, <laughs> is um, I, when I started working full time, I put away $50 a week, uh, which isn't a lot. Um, and I set up that as an automatic transfer. And I think the smart thing I did was make it a different bank than my everyday bank. So you very quickly forget about that because it's happening automatically. I forgot I even had an account with that bank. <laughs> and it was actually with um, ING Bank when they first opened because, and the reason they got me in was because you could call your account whatever you wanted, which is a really small thing, but that's what got me in. So I had one called Rainy Day Fund, which was what I used for this. I had another one called for the tax man, another one, you know, and I sort of had five different, I could remember where that money was and what it was for very easily. Um, And so that money was just going in for years and years and years. And then suddenly it was there when I needed it. And it's not the thing you're going to retire on. Um, It's not going to buy you a house, but it is this amazing little buffer and it's not much. Um, and you can do that as a percentage of your salary. Obviously, I was earning, I think my first salary out of uni was something like $32,000. It wasn't a lot of money. So I was doing it on, on that salary. And so it was $50 a week. You very quickly forget that it's even going out of your account because you don't see it. Um, and that is what I used. So what I learned was I was perhaps financially smarter than I thought I was. And I will absolutely keep doing that going forward. Um, we need to bring that account back up again. Um, so it's sort of... Yeah, it's, it was definitely sort of the key thing I learned was sometimes you're saving something that you don't even know is coming. That's a really, it's really interesting because I think, you know, when you're, when you're younger and like you said, a lot of people are going through this now, people that have worked successfully freelance or, you know, they're, they're not expecting to get sick. You know, they, like you said, you know, even in the cancer ward, you know, most of the women around you are in their 60s. Um, it is easy to think you're kind of bulletproof financially, health-wise, you know, even career-wise. Was Is there anything looking back you wish you could have done better? Yeah, I think 
the one thing I wish I had done differently pre-curveball is probably, and, and this, you know, is in response to all of those things, is, is to not be so terrified of money. And I was in my 20s. I was absolutely terrified. I still add a little bit. And as soon as um, a magazine article suggested I, you know, keep a monthly budget or so, I just balked at that. I was it's not my thing. It never has been. Um, I'm a shopper. It is unrealistic for me to think I will be able to change that entirely. But what I did realize during treatment, and mostly because I was forced to, and this helped a lot, and I wish I had done this earlier, is to understand that if you can't keep a monthly budget, you have to keep a monthly spending plan instead. So that's sort of what I had to do during treatment because you have to have that money when those bills come in. So I would not write down how much was coming in, which is what a budget is about, how much is coming in really and how much of that you want to keep. Um, It was just how much was going out. So how much I needed for bills and how much I wanted to spend on wine and wigs and (laughs) whatever else. So I wasn't really denying myself anything, but I was just aware how much was actually going out a month, uh, which I had never been before. I just sort of spent what I had. So I still now am more aware of what I'm spending monthly. It's not a budget as such. It just is a step to being more aware of what money is going out. It's really interesting because you've just basically applied what you were talking about, about linguistic, you know, changing up the way you name things. So you talk about how you named that account and how, you know, the word budget has really negative connotations, um, you know, or changing it to spending, changing it to whatever kind of keeps you buzzed. Um, Yeah. That, yeah, that spending. So I love simple. that word. Great word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it sounds sort of overly simplistic, but it clearly really shifts the needle for a lot of people. And I always say that when I hear budget, I immediately think, oh, someone's going to tell me to stop drinking coffee. And I'm like, exactly. well, I'd yeah. rather, you know, not be alive if I can't drink coffee. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah. then it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think a lot of, I always use the word, you know, the phrase ostriching, you know, sticking your head in the sand. And it's really yeah. easy to do that. Um, but I think, you know, you're absolutely right. You've just applied the same principle, whether it's a pandemic to your own money, it's about how you think about it. It's how you frame it for you. Um, yeah. and look at it as, as, you know, force for good and not for evil. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And oh. having a money buddy, which is probably something that um, I would imagine finance experts suggest. I don't have a money buddy per se, but I do now have a fiance. So it does make me more accountable for what um, I'm spending sometimes. So I try to buy for real me instead of an imaginary me, which is what I did a lot before. I would buy a lot of things for imaginary me, for future me. Like I, future me loves sequin pantsuits, for example. I, I mean, real me does as well. But I, I would buy these ridiculous outfits thinking once cancer is over or once quarantine is over, you know, I get to wear this and imagine that's such a nice pastime imagining wearing this outfit. But that's just not financially or environmentally responsible to do that. So what I try to do now when I buy something, I think, is this for real me? Or is this for imaginary me? And that's what I guess a money buddy is helpful for because they can kind of <laughs> remind you that maybe real you doesn't need six inch heels in quarantine. Yep, yep, yep. Look, even your even your alter ego could be your money buddy, right? It could be uh, absolutely your, your yeah. real you, as you said, your authentic self rather than your projected self. And and again, in light of the pandemic, it is interesting. I think a lot of people taking stock about stuff like that because there's always that. Oh, when when this happens, or when I get to this, or when I get to that, yeah. and, and and like you said, when you have cancer, that doesn't really work. You know, there, there's an end date, but you know, it's 
pretty nebulous. Um, so yes. you've got to reframe, you know, what's going to work for you. But I do feel, I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm sitting in my wardrobe. So I'm looking at my own <laughs> guilty purchases right now. So um, I've been having a hard conversation with my alter ego about my spending. I guess um, to, to wrap up, like uh, first question is how are things going for you now, health-wise, life-wise? As health is good, cancer-free. Since 93, not since 93, it just rhymes. Since 2018 now, uh, which is great. Very, very exciting. Two years clear. Um, but I am now prepared, and you have to be prepared as a, a former cancer patient for it to come back at any time. Unfortunately, cancer has a habit of doing that. So I'm definitely more mentally prepared. And perhaps I was more mentally prepared for the pandemic and the lockdown than uh, other people because I've dealt with something which seemed impossible before and it's sort of similar you take it in your stride and you learn how to take these things in your stride by learning and teaching yourself resilience um, which absolutely is what curveballs is all about um, and I think it was very I can never say this word professori professorial did I say that right that's it um <laughs> So I'm I'm really hoping that more people discover it uh, during this time because I think it would be incredibly helpful uh, for a lot of people right now who are really doing it tough. And I'm not making light of how tough people are doing it with layoffs and certainly with having the virus. There are certain things in life which are insurmountable. For some people, cancer is one of those things. For some, it is the thing that takes them. And so to expect that you're going to fight the good fight and you're just going to get over it and optimism wins everything is also unrealistic and that's not what optimism is about at all it's just simply being able to make the most of the time you have yeah 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 rather than just that kind of blind all-encompassing statement about stay positive um yeah, yeah which is very unhelpful really yeah. it is and yeah. it's similar to what we're hearing now uh, with sort of trying to make the most of a global pandemic like you should learn piano and make cute videos and that's do not believe everything you see on the internet, obviously. That's not what you need to be doing right now if that's not what suits you. You can absolutely sit at home and eat popcorn and watch movies all day. It's fine. You do not have to feel bad about that. As long as you're not wallowing in it, uh, it's absolutely fine to do that. That's yeah. what I'm doing. I'm, I've, really, I've really caught up on Netflix in its entirety. And if you haven't seen Tiger King yet, you definitely should watch that one. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's a hobby we could all get into when we get out of here, right? <laughs> Emma, just to wrap, um, if you had to say one thing that someone could take away from this chat today, what would it be? I think it would be that if it hasn't already, then a curveball bigger than Donald Trump's head is coming for you at some point. It is just a byproduct of being alive. One will come for you eventually. So I don't necessarily need you to prepare for it. I just think that everyone, no matter who they are and what situation they find themselves in, will get incredible gains from working on their resilience. The absolute best of which is being happy. You cannot not be happy if you're a resilient person. And you can be, you can be single, bald, broke and living alone and still be happy. And I know that because I was that person. And so if, I, if you can take anything away from this, I think it's just the word resilience and figuring out what that means to you. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Stay safe out there in the, the hail and the snow. Absolutely, will do. 
Thanks for listening. Just a reminder, we have episodes available every Wednesday. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Pocket Money Podcast. Just a reminder to share this episode with a friend. You might have someone who needs a bit of a spark on happiness and resilience, and this show will definitely deliver that. Jump in our Facebook group. We've got links in the show notes or shoot Sally and me a message on Instagram if you need any help finding resources or answers. Don't forget, we're at Pocket Money Podcast. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening.